We're looking in Exodus chapter 3 this morning, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, we had, uh, of course, uh, Halloween uh, Monday, and um, I have a dog that's a barker, and I have a lot of steps, so I go to the mall on Halloween. That's my one trip to the mall, and I walk laps, and then I sit down, and I watch people. Our world is changing. I felt like I was in a cereal box. There are all kinds of flakes, nuts, and fruits there. <laughs> Very few people that I could just have a good conversation with, but uh, it was an interesting time. I went around, looked at the stores. Things are changing so much. I saw a store called the Foot Locker. There weren't any lockers in the store. And then I went to a store called Lunchbox. I remember when I was a kid, my mom said, well, for Christmas, you can get a lunchbox if you're tired of the paper bags. I went in that store. There weren't any lunchboxes in there. There wasn't even a sandwich in there. So uh, it was quite an evening, but uh, I'm glad to be back to normal and at home and so forth. We're going to look at chapter uh, three in a moment, but it's a great saying is everything rises and falls on leadership as pastor in a uh, church, SBC church up in Saudi for eight and a half years. And I remember when I arrived there, they just hadn't had any leadership at all. And, uh, and I felt like if, if they just have a little encouragement, they'll be all right. And you know, God is good, and he does encourage us, and he does, he does bless us when we follow him as our leader. Uh, while I'm the pastor here, I'm only the under-shepherd to the Lord. He's the leader. This is his church. We're his people. We want to follow him. Uh, we should know the way, we should go the way, and we should show the way to others. And now Moses, God had led the people, and now he's, he's fed the people, and God's going to provide elders to help him lead. And uh, Moses is now going to start leading Israel. And he's 80 years old when God calls him back. Isn't that fascinating? Chapter 3, Stan, we'll read a few verses. You have a, a, a great tradition of standing to read. And I'm going by that this morning, verses 11 to 14. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon his mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus saith Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. God bless us. We need you so bad this hour. As we take a look in your book for a walk in the world, that we'll glean something and, and get something for our week, not just for the moment, that we can think about during the week. And God, we thank you for each and every person that is here, especially you being omnipresent. And those of us that are saved have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us who and he abides with us forever. We thank you for your presence today. Bless now and hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Moses here in verses 11, 15 through 15 is told to go in my name. And he says, who am I? Wondering how, how, how could he lead? I love the idea that when we're, excuse me, I got to slow down. When we're weak, he is strong. Moses was strong physically, but he didn't feel he was a good enough leader. But I love in scripture, God takes the base to confound the wise. Here he's got an intelligent man, Moses, who doesn't realize he's intelligent. 
He learned the ways of the Egyptians, the language of the Egyptians, spoke Hebrew and, and Egyptian, and, and he's now being chosen by God to lead, but he's insecure. He doesn't understand how he could do it. I was reading this week all the people in the Bible who felt they didn't measure up. In all of us who don't feel we measure up. Abraham, I'm too old. And Moses, of course, we know later he had a stuttering problem. Jeremiah said he was too young. Uh, we know Elijah was depressed and pouting. Jonah ran from God. The disciples couldn't stay awake long enough to pray. And Martha worried and Zacchaeus was too small. But God used people. Uh, you know, he, he empowered people. And Samson wasn't great because of his strength, but because God's strength was in him. The Bible said the Spirit of God came upon him and empowered him and then departed from him and he became weak. And so we're, we're weak in our own, but we're strong when God's in us. And in our weakness, he is also strong. And so he says here in verse 12, uh, God says to him, uh, I will be with thee. I love that. Remember what God said to Joshua years later? I will be with thee. Uh, uh, John 15, 5, he abides in us. Paul said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will, he will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Turn to Isaiah chapter 49 quickly. We're going to turn to just a couple of verses today, but Isaiah chapter 49, and then we'll go back to Exodus. And I love this in Isaiah chapter 49. <clears throat> Chapter 49 and verse 14 and 16, 49, 14. But Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. And of course, this is Yahweh. He's forgotten all about me. Verse 16, behold, I have given thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. And God has never forgotten Israel. He will restore them one day. In the tribulation period, he's going to save them, right? He hasn't forgotten Israel. They're his chosen people. We're chosen individually. They're chosen collectively. But God hasn't forgotten them. And here he says, I have engraved thee in the palms of my hands. A lot of commentators say different things, but everyone agrees this is prophetic. At least a hint at prophecy about the Lord Jesus' hands being engraved. Thomas said, and show me your hands and feet, I'll believe. And whether you agree that this verse is prophetic to that degree or not, we know Jesus Christ did suffer his hands to be, had nails driven through his hands and feet, a spear through his side, and suffered for us. He was marked for us. He was bruised for our iniquities. Amen? And we thank him for that. But here in this section of Exodus chapter 3, the Lord says, I, 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 several times. And he can say that because he's God. Sometimes people say that. I've done this and I've done this and blah, 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 blah. Well, when God speaks, he's the almighty. And he has done it all. He's able to do it all. And he says, I am with thee. I have sent thee. He says later, I am he that sent thee. Verse 13, I have surely visited you. I will bring you out. I will stretch out my hand. I will do. I will give favor. God does it all. He's the leader. And uh, we know that he's in control of everything in our life. So he says in verse 12, certainly I will be with thee and this shall be a token. The word token's a Hebrew word translated in Isaiah 7:14, sign. It's translated token over in Genesis in regards to the rainbow, but in Isaiah 7:14 it's it's translated sign. 
Isaiah says 750 years before Mary is even in the world, he said, a virgin shall be with the child. And that's a sign. And so Mary's virgin birth was a sign of him coming. And he would come and redeem, we know from Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born. And he shall be called the everlasting father, the Trinity in Isaiah 9, 6. And of course, Isaiah 53, in all the prophetic statements there about what happened on Calvary. And so here he says in verse 12 that I've given thee a token, a token, I'll be with thee. I have sent thee. He says, when thou goest forth to the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's Mount Sinai. And he would certainly give him the uh, Ten Commandments. Moses is the only person that's ever broken all Ten Commandments. Came down from the mountain, broke the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a bad joke, but you know. Uh, get your mind off when, when I stumble and stutter and all that. Here, God gives a sign, a token. And I love verse 13. It says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come to the children of Israel, and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me. What shall I, what, what, they're going to say to me, what's his name? And what shall I say unto them? I love Proverbs 30, verse 4. What is his name and what is a son's name if thou canst tell? Isn't that interesting? Long before Jesus was born, the wise saying or the wise question, what is his son's name? And, of course, Jesus Christ is seen throughout the Old Testament. But here, God says to Moses, say to them, I am that I am. That's an interesting Hebrew word. Look at Psalm 68, verse 4. The only time the Hebrew word is, uh, is translated fully is in Psalm 68, verse 4. And we're going to look there just for a moment. <clears throat> and as I said, we'll go to a couple places, and I believe that's our last stop. But in 68, verse 4, it says here, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Jah and rejoice before him. Jehovah. Now, Jehovah is really a substitute word. Uh, it's also translated Lord with all capital letters throughout your old Bible because the scribes didn't want to keep writing Yahweh. They revered that so much. But Yahweh is in your Bible 6,000 times. And it's translated Lord all but eight times. It's translated Jehovah. And this word Jah is what's part of the word Jehovah. It's pronounced Hayah. And it's really part of the word Hallelujah. And what does Hallelujah mean? We all know that Hebrew word. What does it mean? Praise the Lord. Amen. You know that Hebrew word, right? Praise the Lord. And so here he says, tell him I am sent me. It's a word that means to be or to have always existed. Isn't that something? Tell them the one who's always existed sent you. And they'll believe you. And we know that Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 talks about him. and says, from him which is, which was, and which is to come. That's the eternal Jesus. The I am of the Old Testament. When Jesus came, they wanted to kill him. Why? Because he said before Abraham was... I am the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ of the New, the angelic appearances of Christ, the epiphanies, the Christophanies and Theophanies. He appeared to us, and then later he had come in the flesh and lived 33 and a half years, an eternal son, an eternal God. He was there in the beginning in creation. He's always existed. He's the I am, the one to be, the ever-existent one. And so he says, tell him, I am sent you. 
And of course, we know Moses said that and they believed him. Why? God touched their heart. And he says in verse 15, and God said, moreover, Moses, this is, is going to be a, a memorial in verse, verse 15, a memorial like the Passover to all generations. This would be a memorial. And he said, uh, say unto them, I am. And of course, the Lord God of Abraham, that's Yahweh Elohim. Uh, and Yahweh Elohim, of course, we already said Yahweh is a significant Old Testament name, that covenant name of God. And so he says, go in my name, and then he says, gather the elders. Now, this is interesting because Baptists are afraid to, to recognize age in the church. And I told you when I came, I recognized the importance of age. We have several deacons on our deacon board that are older than I, and I respect their age. And I always want to be patient and listen to them. You know, if you're younger, you always really know how to do everything. When I was real young, I knew everything. Uh, you heard about, uh, what's that comedian that said, I, my dad was really an ignorant, ignorant man when I was a teenager. But when I got a little older, I realized he had really gotten smarter over the years. Uh, we all are know-it-alls, and we think we know everything. And we just don't want to wait and be patient and wait on our elders. And I love having aged people here. They're great in leadership because we can depend on them. So he says to Moses here in verse 16, go gather the elders. These are the family heads. Do you know we all need accountability? I don't like a church where a pastor just decides everything on his own. He's a lone ranger. He makes all the decisions. It's all about me, myself, and I. You know, the little poem you heard about uh, eating all the cake and drinking all the tea, uh, you know, with just, just uh, me, myself, and I, that little poem. And sometimes a pastor can be that way. If I ever become that way, just slap me. Slap me continually until I realize I'm out of line. We are dependent on one another, and we need accountability. Every man needs accountability. He needs accountability with his wife or his Every woman needs one with her husband. At church, we need accountability. And we, we need the strength of numbers in leadership. And of course, we know that, uh, that Moses would, would gather the elders. I love 1 Kings 12, 8. Solomon forsook the counsel of the old men. What happened to Solomon? Don't you think if he'd be a little wiser, he'd have asked some of the aged men, think it's okay if I have a few more wives? What would they have said? No, no, one wife. You're making allegiances with these other countries that's going to cost Israel, and it did. The nation was divided because of his moral failure. He should have sought others, but didn't. I like these quotes. Um, Moody said this, it's better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10, but it's harder. Training people to help lead is harder than just doing things yourself. The problem is we don't want to pour time into training. I have four great sons and a great daughter, and I've bragged on my sons. They love the Lord, and that's so important to me. But one of them said, Dad, you know, the only thing I didn't like is that you never let me cut the grass. And when I got married, my wife said, the grass needs cutting. I didn't know how to even start a mower. I used to work on my cars, but I wouldn't teach them. And that's one of my failures. I taught them orally, but I never did the hands-on things with them. I didn't like to do the hands-on thing myself, truthfully. But, uh, you know, when they would be around, I, I didn't want to be bothered with them. And, and one of them would always climb over the fender and watch me. And so he didn't know how to change a tire. And his wife laughs about all that because he's learned all that. But Moody's right. Teaching other people to help us do things and to lead is, is very important. Uh, a guy by the name of Albert 
Hubbard said this, it's a fine thing to have ability, but the ability to discover ability in others is a true test of leadership. Discovering others have ability. And then Patton, who we watched the modern day movie of Patton, we don't think of him saying this, but he said this, don't tell a man how to do a thing, tell him what you want done, and he'll surprise you with his ingenuity. Isn't that true? So we need uh, accountability. We need help and leadership. And we need to lead this church forward. I'm thankful for all our growth. We're all excited about growing. We love that. But we need to keep on for the Lord and keep on growing, keep on reaching out. And we need to see more people saved and more people grow. And so gather the elders, and he does. Look what it says in verse 18. Now, this is interesting. Because we talk about one side of this uh, when we talk about listening to your elders. But look what it says in verse 18, and they shall hearken to thy voice. So these elders would listen to Moses. It's a two-way street. A wise leader surrounds himself with people. He listens to the voices of the aged people. You know, growing up, my dad was strict about elders. I mean, I would never call an elder, an aged man in the church, an older man by his first name. My dad would have slapped me sideways when I got home. You respect your elders. And that was interesting. And, and, you know, my dad taught us, yes, sir, and all that kind of stuff, listening to your elders, obeying your elders. You know, I was raised, and so were most of you, in an era where if you got in trouble by your teacher, your dad wouldn't march up to school and confront the teacher. He'd confront you. You know, it was a different era than now. We've kind of lost respect for authority and age, and we need to get back to respecting our elders. And, and just not just by calling them by a title. That's not my point. But God gave us wise people. And we listen to those people. Why, well, if, if one of that men, Brother Frank, says something to me, I'd be a fool not to listen. If Brother Jim says something to me, I'd be a fool not to listen. Why? They're my elders. And sometimes when we're younger, and I'm not that young, but we want to move and shake, and we don't want to really be bogged down and held back. Man, we want to go conquer the world. And sometimes it's good to have somebody to pull back on the reins and say, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Do we really want to borrow a million dollars and build a third gym? You know, you know that's the kind of things that's, that are going on today. We, we, you know, I'm thankful for this mission offering down here, this bottle. I'm thankful to help our missionaries. But do you know... Some churches don't give a dime to missions. Some churches don't give anything to missions and don't give anything to their community. And I don't want to be like that. I want to pour into this community. I want to help people. That's our calling, to do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. But there are people in need and we can help them. But the fact of the matter is, he told him to go gather the elders. And the elders would take a journey three days into the wilderness. Look at verse uh, pick up verse 19 now. Third, he would say you're going to gain favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. And beginning in verse 19. And, and this, is, this is interesting. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. God in his foreknowledge knew everything and he said he's not going to cooperate. Do you know, folks, we will face opposition as we march forward for God. Some of you are going through difficulty. I don't even maybe know your difficulties, but I can tell you this. He knows, and he expects us to face it. It's tough. Someone said the other day, I don't know, one of these people in our church says it all the time. You know, getting old is not for sissies. 
I'll tell you this, being a Christian is not for sissies. We're in spiritual warfare. I talked about this morning to the, to the veterans. We're in spiritual warfare. Our mind is constantly uh, in, in warfare. We need to gird up the loins of our mind and keep all the suggestions of the enemy out because he's pouring thoughts into our mind all the time. In fact, one of the Greek words is translated mind. His devices, the way he gets at us is putting thoughts in our mind. Even while sitting here in church, some of you have had a thought you shouldn't have had. He's constantly, he and his helpers are constantly battling with our mind, fighting with our mind. And to be good warriors, we have to take the word of God. Like Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. We need to quote scripture, read our Bibles, pray because we're in battle day in and day out. Your old nature is bad enough. But when you throw the thoughts of the enemy in your mind, you've got problems. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. And God says here in his word, I'm sure you're going to face opposition. If you're a Christian, you've got to take up a cross and follow him and there's always going to be opposition. But I love that that opposition always leads to opportunity. We know that in verses 20 through 22, there's, there's opportunity. In verse uh, 20, God says, I will do in the midst thereof. In verse 21, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. That word favor is a very rich word. Chesed is the word. And that word is that love that never lets go. It's translated loving kindness in your Bible. Translated several ways. But it's that constant abiding love. It's that love that Hosea had for Gomer. I mean, she went out and had affairs and had Children out of wedlock with other men. And what did Hosea do? He loved her and loved her and loved her. That is a type of God's love for Israel. They've cheated on God. Did God stop loving them? No. Jesus Christ, it's a type of his love for the church as well. You say, well, I don't commit adultery. Yes, you do. If you love the things of the world, you're committing spiritual adultery, aren't you? James tells us that, you adulterers and adulteresses. So we cheat on God when we love our things more than God. We're talking about warfare this morning, and I was talking about not being too attached to the things of this world as we're in battle. Some people's whole lives is about their IRA and their house and their things. And, you know, when God comes, you'll leave it all behind for your kids to fight over. And if they don't fight over it, the state gets it. I remember years ago, I was attending a church, and, and someone here would remember this story, but a family... Brother Bryant and his wife, I won't give all their details, they died and they gave their house to the church. They didn't have any kids. Do you know what happened? Relatives, not their children. Other relatives, I guess nieces, nephews, distant cousins, started, starting to, started to blah, 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 sue the church. The church said, we're not going to fool with this. They just turned the house loose. It's amazing to me. Now, I think a good grandfather of the Bible says leaves an inheritance to kids and grandkids. I think it's wise to leave things to your kids. But we know all the fighting and family disputes over wills, don't we? Unbelievable in our society, in our world. And that's because we're too attached to this world and the things of this world. We really don't believe that we can build investment in heaven. We really struggle with Matthew 6, 33. You mean really I invest in heaven? Is that legit? Well, the Bible says it is. The Bible says when you give to God's work that, that you're building investment in heaven. Lay not up your treasures on earth. Lay up your treasure in heaven. And, and I, I just think of all the people who rallied around me to go to the mission field. And I believe they're going to be rewarded. When some of those GIs in heaven maybe will see you and remember 
you and say, you know, uh, uh, this missionary came and, and told me about the Lord. I got saved. I know you gave. Look into the mind of Christ. I don't know if it's going to happen like that, but I'm, I think it does. I'm not sure. I, I don't understand everything. Someone asked me the other day, do our loved ones see us down here? Well, Hebrews says we're, we're surrounded with a, a crowd of witnesses right after it talks about all the patriarchs who went on before us. And, and, and I'm not sure about all the details of Scripture. Opinions, every preacher has opinions, and second opinions is not an inspired book. But, but we have our ideas about things. But I do know this. God's there. God sees everything. God says in his word we're rewarded. And so we need to trust him in that. And we need to give to missions and give to God's work and trust him that we're building an, a, a, a treasure in heaven. He says in verse 20, I'm going to deliver. I'll give this people favor. Just like Hosea loved Gomer unconditionally. So many great Bible stories with this word. Jonathan loved David in this way. That's amazing to me. Jonathan's in his 40s. David's a teenager. But the Lord made them one. He would save David's life. He didn't care about inheriting the throne. He knew David was God's man. He was supportive of that. That's that love. That, that love that doesn't let go. Hosea and Gomer, Christ for the church. We're supposed to love our wives that way. Boy, that's challenging. Preacher, don't go there. You can preach on that when my wife's not here. You know, sometimes you're preaching and you see one of the partners doing this in church, you know. Listen, God loves us with a love that won't let go. And he, what, what he would do is touch the Egyptians' hearts. The Egyptians, many of them loved the Jews. I love uh, uh, down in Atlanta, the preacher down there, he's an Egyptian, and my daughter-in-law came from his church, I can't think of his name, Michael, Michael Youssef. He loves Jews. It's amazing, he's Egyptian, and he believes the Jews are the chosen people. I love that. God gave uh, the, the, the Egyptians, the Jews, favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, so they would always give and treat them good, and a lot of them worked for Egyptians who loved them. I know many were heartbroken when they left. Of course, the armies weren't, and Pharaoh wasn't. There's a lot of hatred there, but God would give them favor. And look what it says here. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor. Now, that Hebrew word's translated many times to steal or to take what's not yours, but the context is clear. The context is clear. God was in this. They would borrow. The neighbors would really give them silver and gold and all kinds of things. So when they left Egypt, they had all kinds of precious metals, all kinds of valuables. Later, it'd come in handy for the building of God's house, but, uh, or the building of maybe Solomon. I don't know how long this treasure would stay, but we know that it blessed them. It provided for them. When they got to the new land, they could actually have money to get started. But we know that, that God touched the Egyptians' hearts. And in this context, it means to have permission, to make permission. So we see here Moses now, he's getting ready to lead, and God's touching people's hearts to prepare them. He hasn't even arrived yet. What does God do? He touches the aged men's hearts. He's touching the Egyptians' hearts. He's getting everything ready. So Moses, who couldn't speak very well, stuttered, could lead them. He's developing him into a leader. Listen to your elders. They'll support you. Uh, God, I'll touch the Egyptians' hearts. Everything's going to work out, Moses. Just tell them I am sent you. It'll work. And it did. That's the thing about God. No matter what the obstacles, no matter what the odds, he's in control. We all vote on Tuesday. 
there'll be a lot of fretting on Wednesday. The fretting will start uh, on, on, on Tuesday night. You know, we'll see. Maybe we're not fretting this year. I think that there's going to be a, a, a little, what we call a wave. But, you know, I'm not, I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican. But one side's going to fret if we don't trust. Fret not. Just trust the Lord. Amen. And don't go to work and pick fights. Gloat if you win and pick fights with people. You go to work and you be like Jesus. I never find Jesus getting involved in politics. Rome was pretty corrupt. I think we ought to vote. I think we ought to pray. That's understandable. We ought to stand against the evils of our world. But listen, our calling here is to win people to Jesus. And when we win them to Jesus, what does he do? He works a metamorphosis in their heart. That's a miracle. It's like when he takes the caterpillar and it becomes a butterfly. He changes them on the inside. You don't have to worry. They'll grow and be more like Jesus, and they'll think more like this, and they'll vote more like this. God can take care of that. Our calling is not politics. Our calling is to follow Jesus. He took Peter, a fisherman, made her a fisherman. He takes Moses, a shepherd, says, you're going to shepherd all of Israel. Let me ask you as we close. Do you know the one with the nail-scarred hands? Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Second of all, are you aware that you're going to face opposition? I don't like this health-wealth gospel where if you get saved, you're going to be rich. All your problems are going to go away. No, I, I think I'll listen to Jesus. Take up a cross and follow me. It's not easy. Don't witness by offering people the world that they trust Jesus. Tell them it's trusting in the one who can change your present, deal with your past, and give you a future. Are you aware that God can give you favor with the person at work you're having trouble with? With the difficult boss? And you can't change work. Years ago, I was in a store with a guy, and, and we were out on visitation. And he went in the store, and he complained about the music in the store. And I thought, oh, what an idiot he is, you know. Hey, don't expect the world to live up to, to our standards. They need discipleship. In, in some of that stuff just drove me crazy. And had another guy I worked with at a health club called Cosmopolitan on Brainerd Road. He'd go in there and just kind of like high-pressure salesman and witness to all these people. And I said, what are you doing? Don't you care about souls? Yeah, I care about souls, but they all hate you. When you come in, they run, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and, and so we have to be careful, but we have to be like Jesus in our approach. And, and he sat down and ate with sinners, and he would gently break the gospel. He went to the Samaritan woman. He gently pointed out her sin. Now, he's the judge, we're not. But he can give you favor with people. Are you aware that he knows your future? He knows your problems? He knows what's going to hit you next week. He wants you to be prepared. And the only way to be prepared is get in this book. Spend time in prayer. Because he's in control of everything in your life. He's in control of Tuesday. And if you get upset because your guy doesn't win, you're fretting. Trust in the Lord. He could turn the king's heart. Everybody in office now, Congress, Senator, are all puppets of the Lord. He can turn their heart any direction he wants. And he can prepare this world for the rapture by making the world worse and worse by allowing people to lead foolishly. But we have to trust him that 
everything's in his hands. And that's hard to do. I can fret, you can fret, but it's not pleasing to God. Let's trust in him. And if you're here today and you've never trusted him as your savior, this would be a great time to come forward and we'll take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray you, your Holy Spirit spoke to hearts. I don't know the hearts, but you do. And I know you speak to hearts in a variety of ways, even when the subject is different than I've preached this morning, because you're God. You know every heart. Lord, we just ask you to bless this. Anyone here who's not saved, I pray today they'll trust you, your son Jesus, as a personal Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.